is Upbeat with beatboxer, musician, speaker, and show host, Parker K. Hey guys, welcome to Upbeat and thank you very much for being here and for listening in today. If you would, please follow the podcast wherever you're listening to it right now. That is always super appreciated, so thank you for that. Wow. Episode 101, 101. I hope you all enjoyed the 100th episode. Uh, that was that's pretty fun to put together, and I'm really thankful for uh, you know all the guests who sent such kind messages. <laughs> Their words were, uh, you know, specifically to me, I really appreciate them. They were very uplifting. Uh, but then for all of us, you know, they mentioned a lot of good, positive information, brought a lot of optimism to the show last week, so very thankful for them. Uh, man, and we're just flying right through the holidays too, huh? <laughs> I hope you guys all had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, mine was pretty chill. It's just me and my mom hanging out. Uh, we actually decided, uh, you know, to go against the the norm here. We didn't do like a Thanksgiving dinner. But my mom mentioned it was the first time in 30 years that she hasn't made like a typical Thanksgiving dinner. We just got some like take and bake pizzas <laughs> and we made them on Thanksgiving. We just hung out and like binge watched some of our favorite TV shows and ate some pizza. And then later later in the day, we went and hung out with my grandparents. And it was just really fun, really laid back. And honestly, we were pretty grateful that we didn't do like the typical Thanksgiving because it wasn't like a ton of work or anything. We literally just hung out and, and took advantage of, of doing nothing that day, pretty much. So it was pretty fun. Uh, but yeah, flying through the holidays here. One thing I really love about this time of year is everything just seems to be a little bit better, you know, and I think it's because we're all focused on what we're grateful for. It's kind of nice. <laughs> uh, but today's episode, you guys, is a very unique episode. I actually thought a lot about whether or not I should do an episode like this one, and I ultimately decided that it won't be a regular thing here on Upbeat at all, but it's something that we should talk about right now, and that is politics. Uh, I've steered away from politics because I realize that for many of you, including myself, uh, Upbeat is an escape. You come here to consume content that isn't what you're seeing all the time in your feed. You come here for inspiration and motivation. You come here for strategies and advice. And, you know, hear me out. This is kind of what I'm thinking. The world of politics is so extremely loud right now. It is in your face. And here on Upbeats, I want to provide that motivation and inspiration and strategies and advice and optimism and uplifting content that helps us know how to navigate these situations we're faced with. So being that politics is so loud right now, I wanted to at least address it. And thanks to a patron of this show, a supporter of the show, and my very good friend Hadley, uh, we have someone to interview about politics. It's actually Hadley's uncle. His name is Brian Dilley. He teaches political science at Maricopa Community Colleges in Maricopa County, Arizona. He's got a bachelor's in political science and communications from Brigham Young University in Utah and a PhD in political science from Arizona State University. He's the author of Engaging the United Nations, an introductory text for model United Nations programs, and Arizona Voices, uh, the history and government of the Grand Canyon State. He specializes in civic engagement and public policy, as well as foreign policy decision-making. And in this episode, we discuss all kinds of things, from how to manage the political stress we've all been facing, how we can dissect what's true and what's not true, as well as where we can go for answers, uh, how to engage in political conversations and discussions. We dive deep into the world of politics because, uh, like I said, it's not something that's discussed very often here on Upbeat. In fact, I don't think it's ever been discussed on Upbeat before. Uh, so this episode is a special one. Excited to dive into this with Brian. Again, thank you, Hadley, for the introduction so we could have Brian on the show. Let's get into it. Brian, thank you very much for joining me on Upbeat. I appreciate it. Sure. I'm glad to be here. Super excited to have you. Just to preface this, to kick this one off, uh, to share with all the listeners, and I'm sure that I'll be saying this in the intro as well, but uh, this is going to be a really fascinating episode for Upbeat, very different. Uh, I've kind of steered away from politics and any kind of talk of politics in the past, 
but it's gotten to the point where I feel like we need to bring it up at least somewhat because so many people are struggling with that right now. It's such a loud thing in the world right now. So thank you for your willingness to be here and to, to touch on something that's seemingly more sensitive to touch on. <laughs> Sure, I appreciate that. I'm, and I don't blame you because for, for many, talking about politics is like a, a barren wasteland or, or scorched battlefield. You know, I, I heard uh, someone talking, I can't, I can't remember the exact source, but they were pointing out that the real division in America is not between Republicans and Democrats. It's between people who want to talk about politics and people who don't. Mm. Seems pretty insightful. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, just to catch the listeners up and introduce you to them a little bit better, could you share with us a little bit of your background and uh, who Brian is, you know, what it was like growing up, where you discovered your passion for politics and kind of what led you to where you are now? Sure. So I grew up in Idaho Falls. I went to Bonneville High School there, you know, about the uh, Southeast Idaho geography. Um, and this was in the 1980s, so it was during the Cold War. And um, I, I grew up there. I, I, did, I was invited to do debate in high school and really took to that like a, like a fish to water. Not that I, I love to argue, but I love the, the intellectual contest uh, that debate was to figure out what the other side was saying, to find out why it was wrong or to bring up evidence to prove your points. It was a really sort of fascinating contest. And, and at the end of the good debate round, I didn't even care if I'd won or lost. I just enjoyed the, the, the challenge, the intellectual challenge that it presented. And one thing that I learned by doing that, because in policy debate, uh, you're assigned what side of the argument you're supposed to argue. And uh, on one's time, you're the affirmative, which means you're arguing in favor of this idea. And in the very next round, you're the negative. So you're arguing against that idea. And one thing that I learned very quickly then was how to argue both sides of any given issue. And I really think that was foundational to my, to my thinking because I, I learned to take the other side seriously. I had never been satisfied by the easy answers, the straw man arguments you hear on angry radio, uh, because you know I, I know life is more complex, and the other side has actual arguments that you can counter, and it's kind of a waste of time to beat up their easy arguments. You want to find out their best arguments so that you can decide whether to attack that or not. And frankly, there's always the possibility however remote that you might actually be wrong now i you know i know it's remote i'm i'm rarely wrong of course uh, but you have <laughs> to open the possibility that you might actually be wrong and genuinely listen to what the other side is saying and as you do that uh, you can learn quite a bit about even your own position and so there, i learned through debate uh, a humility uh, when it comes to talking about social things. And so then I went to college. I went to Brigham Young University in Utah and uh, majored in communications because I thought I was going to be a, a muckracking journalist and then realized you had to actually work every single day if you were a journalist. And that was just far too much to ask for me. And so then I decided I was going to be a lawyer. And uh, the advice I was given was, it doesn't matter what your major is, you just need good grades. And so major in something that you're interested in. And so I majored in political science because it was interesting. And so I kept doing that. And then I interviewed a bunch of lawyers my junior year in college, and I found hardly any of them actually liked what they did. Uh, most of them were deeply miserable <laughs> in their lives. And so I started rethinking going to law school. And at the time I was doing an internship in the Senate, working for Senator Sims, uh, who was a Republican from Idaho back in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. And uh, my advisor said, hey, have you ever thought about teaching college? And I said, no, never even occurred to me. And she said, well, you should, I think you'd be good at it. And so the more I thought about it, the more I decided that was a good route to go. And so after I graduated, I went ahead and went to graduate school. 
and just continue doing political science because I, I never did stop being interested in it. And so I went to Arizona State Universities. I got my PhD down there. My research is in foreign policy decision-making, which is kind of a political psychology approach to things. And then I uh, teach at Mesa Community College, which is a college just down the street from ASU, and uh, sort of walked into that position. Because what I found is that while I was decently good at doing research, I really enjoyed teaching. And so I started working at the community college, and I've been working there for over 20 years now. It's been my career. So that's kind of the short synopsis for how on earth uh, I'm on the other end of this microphone talking to you about politics. <laughs> awesome. Well, it sounds like you're very credible. You know, uh, you know what you're talking about. You've studied these things. You're teaching these things. Uh, and oddly enough, too, you're you're in, I believe, Maricopa County, which is a a, a signature place right now, anyway, in the in the country. So, what has that been like? Well, every now and then, it's you realize you're the center of the universe. Uh, it's a fleeting moment. Um, I remember when I did my internship in the Senate. It was during the Clarence Thomas hearings, and I remember walking down the hall and seeing all of the media in the hallway and realizing that you know, the entire country was watching what was happening in that room. And it it was a sort of strange feeling that, that you're the center of attention, not you personally, but you're sort of in the room uh, when these things are happening. Uh, but then you realize, you know, people are people and the, and the attention passes, you know, this is why I don't work in Washington. Some people get addicted to that, uh, but I, I recognize it's fleeting. Uh, but it is interesting because in Maricopa, in the national news, you're hearing about this person did that, this person did that. And these are people I know and, and people I've been watching for years. And so I know who's credible and who's not credible. But the national audience doesn't know because it's just, you know, a brand new story for everyone else. So it is, it is odd being the center of attention. Yeah, I bet. I can't even imagine. Well, I, I mean, I really respect some of the things that you said um, in your synopsis of how you got to where you are today. Um, what rang in my mind was just this skill of critical thinking. You know, you seem to be someone who exercises critical thinking. Uh, and I guess maybe it's fair to say too, just take, take on a nonpartisan view a lot of the time and look at the bigger picture. So how important is it these days to develop critical thinking skills and maybe even what that means to develop critical thinking skills and navigate some of the you know, some of the storms that are being thrown our way today. It is absolutely critical because storm is a good word for it. We, we live in a, a media environment that is not conducive to the truth. Some people talk about living in a post-truth world. And I don't think that's the case because there is still truth. You know, if I walk outside and get hit by a car, you know, th th there's no denying something just happened to me. You know, there, there is still truth uh, with a capital T out there. Um, but it's hard to suss it out sometimes because it's buried through so many layers of nuance or outright deception. Uh, so how do you do that? And I think that the, the most important skill to have to be a critical thinker is to recognize your own bias. So we have a, everyone operates under cognitive bias. Uh, the Probably the worst one is the confirmatory bias. And it's something that all, all humans do. It's part of our, you know, it's baked into our psyche. And with confirmatory bias, you pay attention to things that you already believe in that support your belief system. And you ignore or explain away things that don't go in, in accordance with your belief system. And that's how you walk around from day to day, maintaining your sense of what the world is. It's, it's actually a good thing. But when you're unaware of your own cognitive bias at play. It makes you very susceptible to propaganda and to misinformation because you, when you're being told what you want to hear, it feels good. And you don't, you don't understand or you don't recognize when there's a lie folded into those things because it, you want to hear them. It goes in accordance with your pre-existing 
belief systems. It takes it takes some energy to step back and say, okay, this person or this media outlet's telling me what I want to hear. What are they not telling me? And maybe I should be looking at a media outlet that doesn't tell me what I want to hear so that I can get a different perspective. And if you're lucky, then the media outlet you like and the media outlet you don't like say the same thing. And then you have some sense that maybe that's actually true. <laughs> right? you, it's, you're, it's all about triangulating for truth by getting it from multiple sources. But at the core, you, you can't do that if you're walking around blind to your own biases. You, you will trick yourself. You don't, you don't need some nefarious third party to be tricking you. Uh, you, do the, you do the heavy lifting yourself um, because of your own internal biases. Wow, that's really, really deep. And honestly, it, I'm noticing some uh, cohesiveness here just between what we're talking about and like what we usually talk about in the entrepreneurial personal development world, just this thing called self-awareness, you know, exactly. um, self-awareness. And then as you said, just recognize your own bias and like, just take a step back and look at the bigger picture. I think that's really good advice. Um, another thing I'd add to critical thinking, if I can say anything would be just to you know, work on being a better listener <laughs> um, and not be so quick to jump the gun, you know, um, there's, and that's to be said in, in everything other than politics as well. That's just a good life skill um, to be able to listen and take in information and then respond appropriately. Exactly. It goes back to what I said, humility. You know, you have to be humble enough to, to be teachable, to, to think that other human beings can actually teach you things and then be open to whatever it is they have to teach you. And that humility has to be paired with charity. Charity is where you give people the benefit of the doubt. You don't assume the worst about them. When they're giving an argument in, in a political situation, it's often an argument. When they're giving their argument, do you go after the best version of their argument? Or do you take the stupid form of their argument and beat that up so that you can feel good about yourself? And what we see over and over in the media, particularly angry radio, is the latter. You know, it's, it's just easy to take the silly arguments and pretend that is the whole universe of the other side and then beat those up. Definitely. And it's everywhere, you know, in the, in the media that we consume, but also in our daily interactions. I was just thinking, pondering today, I was like, what happened to just like maturity and respect and decency and politeness? Uh, it seems so, so quickly people jump, jump the gun, assume they're right. And then it gets very argumentative. Mm -hmm. um, how can we bring that back? So as you were saying, uh, what you just said, I was thinking literally of the example of people that I've seen say like, I'm offended by your opinion. And so you either shut up or say what I'm saying or agree with what I say. Uh, and that I've seen that happen on both sides <laughs> of the coin, you know? Right. Um, and, and there's and, just and this, there's just this stigma of like, you have to either be quiet or agree with me. And it's like, how do we navigate that? And what have you accomplished? You know, if that's your approach, what have you accomplished? You've either, uh, cowed people into agreeing with you, or you've destroyed your relationship with them. Neither one of you has learned anything, and you've destroyed community. This is one thing that I worry about a lot, actually, is the absence of humility, the absence of charity is destroying our community, where we can't look at each other as fellow citizens. We look at each other as opponents. If we If we step back and, and have that humility, have that charity, what we'll see is that the other side, whichever side you're on, the other side is composed almost entirely of patriotic Americans who want pretty much the same thing you do. They just have a very different idea of how to go about accomplishing that goal. And that's the source of the disagreement is the way to get there. But the actual goals that both sides have are very close to each other. Uh, I'm not a Pollyannish. I'm not saying that they're identical and we're all just under this illusion. There, there are real differences, 
but we we have to recognize that those differences are actually over a fairly narrow middle. The Democrats don't really want to set up a socialist communist state, and Republicans don't really want to set up a fascist racist state. But the, when the two side, when the extremes of the two sides are allowed to set the frames of conversation, that's what it looks like. When in reality, most people are kind of in the middle, they have disagreements with each other, and we just need to acknowledge that, that these disagreements really aren't as bad as they're made out to be. One of the frustrations I have is that my entire adult life, so I'm, uh, I'm not an old man, but I'm older than you, <laughs> <laughs> and I've been, I've been following politics since the 80s, uh, my entire adult life, every single election both sides have argued that if we lose this, civilization as we know it will end. I remember a guy in the early 90s saying that if our side doesn't win, there will not be another election because the other side will destroy the Constitution. Uh, they've been saying that every single election, my entire adult life, at some point you have to stop believing the rhetoric that the other side is out to destroy us. Another thought that popped into my head as you were saying that is um, just maybe another contributing factor to what could be causing so much contention and and uh, confusion and people getting upset is maybe different um, understandings of the words freedom and liberty. Uh, that's one thing I've had a lot of conversations with my friends and my family just as of lately uh, in 2020, given how crazy it's been. Um, like there's an importance for freedom, but also there's law and there's order and there's process and there's economy, there's social. So it's like, how, how can one truly understand, I guess, freedom and liberty and how does that play a role in what's happening right now? Well, that's a great question. And, and it's one good way to think about ideology in America. Again, we, we argue over the narrow middle. We, we don't have radical socialist parties in America. We don't have, you know, monarchist parties in America. We, we've got two fairly middle of the road parties that, that disagree with each other. So in America, our ideology, we have three values that we all pretty much share. And that is order, freedom, and equality. We all think freedom is important. We all recognize that order is important. You know, no one wants to Again, walk outside and get hit by a car or get mugged or or have all your stuff stolen from you. No matter what your ideology, we, we need an ordered society. We also want freedom. We want to have the ability to do it, we, the things that we want to do and not have excessive government interference in our lives. And that that debate between order and freedom is the classic political debate. So if you go to like enlightenment philosophers or Plato or Aristotle, that's what they're arguing about is, is a perfectly free society has no order and a perfectly ordered society has no freedom. So you don't want to end up on the, on the extreme ends of either one of those. So where on that continuum is the proper place for government? So that's like, that's the classic political debate. Then we have the value of equality. We all want a, a country that is egalitarian. The idea that the distance you get in life is determined on your own abilities, not who your parents are or what your race is or, or what privileges you were born into. You know, we, we like the idea that in America, you lift yourself by your bootstraps and you make your own way. You know, it's a very pioneer, uh, you know, individualist notion that, that we want that sense of equality of, and so again, on a continuum between equality and freedom, a perfectly free society is not equal because people with privilege dominate people who don't have privilege and they destroy their opportunities for equality. And a perfectly equal society has no freedom. That, that's how you get like a totalitarian communist government is is everyone is equal, at least on paper, and there's no freedom. So the modern political debate is where on that continuum is the best place for government to be when freedom and equality are contrasting. And so what you can do, and this is how you know it's political science, is you can make a matrix where there's 
freedom and order on the x-axis and freedom and quality on the y-axis and ask when those conflicts are in value, which one do you adhere to more? And if you do that, you end up with four squares. And the conservative square values order more than freedom, and it values freedom more than equality. So a conservative would be, you know, uh, against uh, gun control, but would be in in favor of restrictions on abortion, uh, because both those things have to do with um, ordered society. But they also would be against affirmative action, because they don't think the government should tell business uh, what to do and who to hire and what criteria it should use. So that that's sort of the conservative cell. And then diagonal from that is the liberal cell. Liberals tend to value freedom more than order, but they value equality more than freedom. So the liberal would be in favor of uh, affirmative action because they want the government to intervene to make sure uh, equality happens. Uh, but then they're... Um, they don't want the government to tell them what to do in their bedrooms or or with their bodies, and so they're pro-choice. Uh, they're they're okay with society fraying on the edges a little bit because they they want individual freedom. So that's where our, our ideologies tend to map. And then there's the libertarians who value freedom over equality and freedom over order. And then in the opposite corner, there's like four people in the entire country, and that's <laughs> people who value order more than freedom and equality more than freedom. And they, they call that communitarian, which you've probably never heard of before because no one in America is in that <laughs> column. <laughs> uh, it's not a very popular ideology. Um, but, but those four ideologies are how to make sense of the fact that, that again, we all value order. We all value freedom. We all value equality. But the relative weight we give those three values vary. And that tells us sort of where we hit on our or ideological spectrum. And I prefer thinking of those terms instead of just a simple right-left because the, the right-left dichotomy isn't particularly helpful. Yeah, it doesn't apply to everybody, like an exact 50-50. Yeah, and, and it raises all sorts of contradictions. Like how can you be pro-life but also in favor of the death penalty is, is an accusation that's often thrown at conservatives. Or how can you say that the government... Uh, shouldn't tell you uh, what you should do with your body, but yet the government should tell you who you can and can't hire. You know, that's in, that's what's thrown at liberals. And so it's easy to point out what looks like logical contradictions if you're just thinking on a, a left-right spectrum. Awesome. Yeah, that was, I feel like that was something that for me personally may have been hard to understand, but you, you do a really good job at communicating things clearly. And I, I appreciate that. I'm sure the listeners will appreciate that as well. Yeah, I threw some political science at you and you weren't even suspecting it. <laughs> yeah. It took me to school a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I guess from your perspective, and this may be kind of a big question right now, but from your perspective, what the heck is going on right now in America? And like, where is it kind of leaning? How's it looking? What should people do? What should people expect? That kind of stuff. Ah, that's a, that's a good question. And I actually worry a bit about it because people have been, I think, suckered into these opposing camps uh, because the elites uh, see value in mobilizing their base in making you as angry as possible. And so they've been feeding that anger. And it's because it, if you're sufficiently angry, if you're sufficiently afraid, uh, then they believe they'll vote for you. And so that's, that's what's been used to mobilize, uh, for, for too long. And, th and the result is predictable, which we end up with a population who's angry and afraid of each other. And I worry because there is hints that 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 political argument is beginning to spill over into violence. Uh, groups that, um, you know, if you've been told for the past 30 years that the other side is the enemy of the country, well, then you can talk yourself into uh, engaging in violence because you, you think you're a hero when actually you're attacking someone who's innocent. And I, I worry that more of that is happening. Uh, hate crimes are on the rise. I just read a report this morning that 
Here in the Phoenix area, hate crimes have risen by 46% in just one year. Uh, and that's, a, that's an indicator of the fraying of our, our social fabric, our, our political fabric. And it, it's worrisome. I, I worry when elected politicians talk about the need to rise up and, and revolt against the government. Um, and that's Arizona politicians are saying that out loud right now. And that's just deeply irresponsible given the context. So I do worry. And, and you asked me, what do we do about it? And boy, that is the, that is the question, isn't it? Uh, but I, I go back to what I said at the beginning, humility and charity that we have to, we have to show charity to our fellow citizens. We have to see them as human beings, not as objects to oppose or resist or destroy. Yeah. And what we alluded to earlier as well with the critical thinking and how to act and how to <laughs> dissect truth from not truth. And um, I really do think it comes back to that as well, because uh, even if you disagree with people, there's there's so much that we actually have in common. <laughs> and if we could also focus on that a little bit, but I think in 2020, it's just gotten, I mean, I'm 27 and in my lifetime, I mean, I didn't really pay attention to politics that much up until recently. Uh, but I don't remember a time where it was this like aggravated, this contentious. And um, maybe that's because in my life, it's directly impacting <laughs> my family and my friends and, and people in my, in my faith. So it's seemingly all around us. And one thing that I kind of worry about is it's new for a lot of people like, like myself, I was never that big into uh, political stuff uh, or educating myself or anything like that up until about a year and a half ago. And I think even for a lot of my friends and family, they're just barely starting that right now. And so what can people do if they're just barely getting into this kind of stuff to, I guess, quickly educate themselves and educate themselves the, the proper way? Well, a couple of points. One is to step back and take a historical look at things. Um, as you said, a lot of people are are feeling anxious because they're just now realizing, oh my gosh, this is terrible. If we take a historical look, um, it's actually not that bad. It is terrible. I will acknowledge that. But from a historical point of view, it is we've had worse uh, in our society. You know, you can go all the way back to our country's history. And the, the second presidential election was just a knockdown drag out fight between Jefferson and Madison. And uh, they had been friends before and they just said nasty, horrible things about each other. And Jefferson said that if, if Madison won, that, that the democracy would be over and we'd have a king. And Madison said that if Jefferson won, the, the streets would be flowing with blood from, you know, revolution. It just, this terrible rhetoric. Um, you can look back, and we don't have to look back that far. You can look in the 60s, where our society was deeply split over questions of race and law and order and uh, foreign policy, uh, you know, with the Vietnam War. You know, that we have deep, deep divisions uh, that, that really shook our culture. And you could argue that, that we're still having the repercussions of that being shook. So we've gone through this before. Um, and if you take this historic approach, you know, and, and, and realize that if you could pick when in history you wanted to be born right now would be when you pick, uh, on almost every measure, things are way better right now than they were 30 years ago, health, education, security, even our partisan arguing, uh, things are things are better. It just doesn't feel better because the media thrives on conflict and it feels like the world is on fire all the time. But actually, things are pretty darn good. Uh, this is a good time to be alive. So it's good to take a historical approach to remember that. I have an optimism about America. And that's because if we look in our history, um, I, I have great confidence in America as muddlers. And what I mean by that is that despite all of the, the, the greed and the corruption and the stupidity 
and the divisions in our history through problems that are worse than the problems we have now, we've always managed to muddle our way through. And we almost all, well, we do, we always come out the other end as a country better than we went into the crisis. And so we muddle or we muddle our way through. And I, I feel that we will muddle our way through this one as well. All right. So that's, so there's that, that perspective, sort of take a chill pill. <laughs> the world's not ending. Uh, so there's that. And just focus on gratitude too. Like focus yeah, on what exactly. we do have. <laughs> exactly. Because what we have is amazing, amazing. And and you for, it's easy to forget that when we just look at all the negativity in, in our media sources. So, so there's that, have the gratitude. The second thing is get your information from more than one source. Then if there's one thing you can do to get some perspective on the debates that we're having, it's to get your information from more than one source. I, I heard a, a good rule of thumb, just that your social media feeds, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, that a solid 10% should be things that infuriate you, that, that you should follow a few people who you know you disagree with. Because what that does is it protects you from having an impervious bubble of the, the confirmation bias where you're never bothered by an idea you don't already agree with. <laughs> uh, if you can have a good 10 to 15% of your social media feed be opposition, th things that you don't agree with, then that is a good reality check to your own bias bubble. So there's that. Uh, get your news from more than one source. I I tend to not get my news from broadcast media at all. So I, I don't watch cable news. You know, people accuse me, you know, my my liberal friends accuse me of watching, of getting my information from Fox News. And my conservative friends accuse me of getting my information from CNN or MSNBC. And that's just because I'm not parroting back to them what they think is going on. And the truth is, I don't watch any of those channels because by and large, it's a complete waste of time. The, the broadcast media, the model of the broadcast media do not lend themselves to thoughtful conversation or discourse. So you have to read you know, because written news, while it's no guarantee that it's not propaganda, if they're writing it, they have to write entire thoughts down in paragraph form. It's harder to schnooker someone in writing, where in broadcast media, you can have a alarming picture with some ominous music. And next thing you know, you're reacting emotionally to what they're saying. Uh, when it's written, it, it's, it's at least one level removed from that kind of easy manipulation that broadcast media can do. So you have to read. Um, I also am a huge fan of podcasts. That's why I, I loved uh, the invitation to speak to you today. I listen to a lot of podcasts. And because podcasts are long form journalism, it's, it's the ability to have an in-depth conversation, not a 30 second soundbite. And you can listen to experts that way. So I get my um, economics news from economists. I get my history news from historians. I get my science news from scientists. And so I'm not getting my news from the other problem with the broadcast media is the person giving you the news, their primary qualification is to be able to read a script and look fabulous while doing so. <laughs> that is that is their qualification. That's why they have that job. That's not who you want to be giving you your news as an actor. Um, and so I get my news from experts. And so getting news from multiple sources, multiple modalities, and and multiple perspectives if you'll do those things, again, it's all about triangulating for truth to try to find the, the, if you hear the same thing said from multiple sources, you've got a fighting chance that that thing might actually be true. I love that. I think that was jam packed with value that will really help people. So I'll probably clip that part and put it up on Instagram or something. Um, but when you were, when you brought up social media, it, it reminded me too of something that you shared with me on a phone call a few days ago, um, which was doom scrolling, I think is what you That's called it. And just like the importance of, you know, taking a broad perspective, a bigger picture, 
uh, and looking into actual sources, like you mentioned, from actual experts uh, and not just getting caught up in a never ending feed of scrolling every single day, all day long, uh, this kind of information. <laughs> right. And, and it's hard to stop doom scrolling because the, the people who made those apps designed them to be addictive. And so if you're like scrolling, 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 that that's because it, the product was designed to keep you there <laughs> scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. It's just like the angry radio. Uh, those programs are designed to make you angry because if you get angry, it, you get a, a rush of adrenaline and it feels good and you get addicted to that. You come back every day to get your hit on what you're, su- what you're supposed to be angry about that day. And so they take whatever happened in the world and they put the worst possible spin on it to make you angry. That That is the business model for, for keeping their listenership. And so the same with social media. They're, um, just remember with social media, they're not, you're not a consumer of news their consumer are advertisers. You're the product that they're selling to their advertisers. And so they're going to do whatever they need to do to keep your attention because your attention is what they're selling to advertisers. And so don't, don't take anything that happens on social media at face value. The other problem with social media is there's no penalty for lying. You know, there's, you talked about being in Maricopa County. You know, if, if I look at social media, what I find is that this election has been stolen and that there's massive amounts of fraud and that uh, Republicans have not been allowed to, you know, participate in the process. And all of these claims are being made on social media. But when you look at what's happening in court, where there's rules of evidence and there are consequences for lying, that's not at all what the president's lawyers are saying. They're saying, oh, no, there was no fraud. You know, we're not we're not accusing uh, it, the Democrats of doing anything wrong here. We think they just made a mistake here and a mistake there. The tone in the courtroom is completely different from the tone on social media. And that's because in a courtroom, there are consequences to lying. On social media, there are no consequences to lying. In fact, you get a reward for lying because you say something outrageous and then all your followers repeat it. And the lie accelerates and gets louder at the same time. And if you hear a lie enough, you think it's true because you've heard it so many times. And so social media is for entertainment purposes only, right? If if there's one thing we get for the readers or some listeners here is do not, do not, do not rely on social media for your information uh, because there is no incentive at all for them to be truthful. True. The only thing that I could think of maybe to, um, I guess, not so much be in line with that is the fact that you can follow individuals, which maybe this is would be a hard argument to make. But one thing specifically I love about the new platform TikTok is that it doesn't seem to have the same censoring and algorithms that that hide people that have been on Facebook and Instagram for years. I don't use Twitter, so I never bring up Twitter, but for years, like if you are not like a beautiful woman in a bikini, then you are just not being seen on Instagram, like for for a very long time. Right. Right. And so there's a, a, a version of reality being constructed on Instagram. Yeah. And I feel like on TikTok, like, I, I wouldn't say I get all my news from there per se, but I do like that on TikTok, I see so many just normal people who are sharing what they experienced. And I think it's really cool to hear everyone's stories uh, that maybe live different places than you. Sure. And and please, thank you for saying that because don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I love social media too. The, the, the great advantage to social... So I've been harping on its disadvantage. The great advantage to social media is it democratized voice. You know, the, the, the gatekeepers are gone. You don't need anyone's permission to, to broadcast. Uh, of course, the big disadvantage is it democratized voice. There are no gatekeepers. You know, the, the very thing that's the advantage is also the disadvantage. So again, is it, enjoy it as long as you have that understanding that uh, you, it's easy, you're easily manipulated in that environment if you're getting information from it. And you're making me feel old. I don't have TikTok. 
<laughs> you know, I felt old getting TikTok too, because originally it was very young users on there, but right. uh, it's kind of blown up since then. So <laughs> I know I need to, you know, when, when Bill Nye, the science guy has a TikTok channel, you know, uh, it, it's, I know I'm behind the curve when uh, <laughs> everyone has a TikTok channel except for me. Yeah. Um, I have some like two or three questions just from listeners, actually, if you're okay going through those. Yeah, yeah, sure. What are some of the biggest misconceptions about politics? I guess there are two. Uh, the first is that the, the shadowy gnomes of Zurich are actually in charge. Right. The, there, there's an, an easy bent to conspiracy uh, that runs through our culture. And part of it's because all of our movies and books that uh, you've been uh, growing up on are all based on conspiracy theories. Uh, so it's easy to think that that's actually what the world looks like. Um, it's not. So that, that's that's one misunderstanding is that just because two things happen at the same time doesn't mean that the lizard aliens are responsible for it uh, happening. <laughs> um, the second misperception is that national politics matters. We spend so much of our time arguing about some bill that, uh, you know, was proposed in Congress and, you know, just hours and hours and hours, especially on the angry radio and the cable TV, they spend hours and hours talking about it. That's just not going to affect your life uh, at all. <laughs> the, 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 the politics that matters, the politics that affects where your tax money gets spent, the politics that affects your quality of life is local politics. It's the, it's the county making decisions that determine whether you're going to get to work on time. It's the city deciding uh, whether or not to put a park or whether to put a, a street sign or a speed bump. It's the state deciding uh, whether or not to legalize marijuana. I mean, all the things that actually affect your life are at the state and local level. And yet we spend hardly any thought at all on that. We spend all of our energy arguing about these things that have no real bearing on us. And again, it's, it goes back to the business model of the media. They want us to be upset. They want us to be afraid. And talking about these distant things are, is the easiest way to do that. So don't give up on politics, engage politics. And you do that at the local level where the politicians are your neighbors. Uh, they're not these shadowy you know, threats that you've been told to hate. They're, they're people whose phone numbers you can look up. And you can talk to them and you can go to a meeting and listen to them and they have to listen to you because of the public meeting laws. Um, you can, you can make an impact if you put forth the effort at the local level, you'll have next to zero impact on whether or not a, an assault rifle ban is passed in Congress, you know, so, so don't get upset about that. Pay attention to your local politics. So that that's the second big misperception is that these national debates actually matter when they don't really. Yeah. It's more to stir up the emotions and, and influence people, which just goes to show how, you know, successful they've been at that because, uh, you know, if you were to ask people, everyone in your city about the local politics, they probably wouldn't know anyone's names. They wouldn't right. know what policies <laughs> were being talked about. They wouldn't know anything about that. They just know, Trump and Biden and what's going on on the national level. So right, and most most of us working schmucks pay way more in taxes, in property taxes, and sales taxes than we do in income taxes to the federal government. So, so if that's where most of your tax money is going, maybe that's where you should pay attention. Good point. <laughs> Love that. Okay, the other listener question I have here is. Uh, if there was one thing that you could change about politics, what would it be? Oh, if I could, if, if you made me king of the jungle or gave me the magic wand. Yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> I would make it so we no longer have a first past the post single member district, which is fancy political science terms for uh, the person who wins an election is whoever gets the most votes not a majority. And we elect one person for every district. And that combination makes it impossible to have a third party 
succeed. And so if we could adopt a form of democracy that most other democracies have, which is uh, proportional systems or even um, ranked choice voting, then that would open up space for multiple smaller political parties. And if we had multiple political parties, we would have parties where people could find a home instead of just being annoyed with the other side. So many elections are just, I'm not voting for someone, I'm voting against someone because I'm picking the, the lesser of two evils. Well, if they had four parties on the ballot, you might actually find someone that you could support. But we can't in America because we have single member districts and we have first past the post elections. And so if instead we had ranked choice voting and proportional representation, it would revolutionize our politics. Got it. Great. I would insight. love to see what that looked like. <laughs> yeah. Same here. Just see what, I mean, I'm not as familiar with it as you obviously, but what you said didn't sound too bad. So, <laughs> yeah. um, but anyway, I want to move into this last segment here to close things out. It's called the upbeat seats. Um, but before we do that, I just like to ask if there's anything else that you really wanted to share that I maybe didn't ask about or anything pressing your mind that we should cover before we get into that. Not necessarily. I just want to reemphasize my optimism. I, I have great faith in America as muddlers. We will get through this. Uh, even if we can't see it right now, we'll figure it out. We, um, Winston Churchill said, you can always count on the Americans to do the right thing after they've tried everything else. And so <laughs> we, we have a long history of finding our way uh, and eventually landing on the right thing. And so I, I, w I want your listeners to, to have that confidence, to not, to not give too much weight to the naysayers, to the people who are trying to make you afraid, uh, because we have a great country and, you know, a third of the country are Republicans and a third of the country are Democrats and a third of the country are people who just wish the other two thirds would just shut the heck up. <laughs> but we're all Americans and, and we, we share more than we disagree with. And so I would, I would like to close with that, that voice of hope uh, and optimism. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for that. It's definitely needed for right now. And I feel, you know, here at the end of the episode, I can say we, we did this, you know, like I was really scared to move, move into something political. I hope it didn't bug you guys listening too much. <laughs> uh, it's definitely a touchy subject, but I think we handled it pretty well. So it's a way to go. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I'm always happy to talk. Brian, what makes you upbeat? My family. I, I love the fact that I have the privilege of watching them grow up and they're just such cool people. I, I, I had fun with them when they were little and now they're all adults and they're just really good people. And I, I love the fact that I get to be around them. And as I said, I'm an optimist. And so I see things continually getting better, sometimes faster, sometimes slower, feels slower right now, but things are always getting better. Love that. Uh, and who is your number one influence or inspiration? My number one influence is probably my mentor at Brigham Young University when I was studying there was a, a woman named Valerie Hudson. And she now teaches at Texas A&M. But I'll never forget the day where I took her national security class. The Cold War had just ended. And so we go to the national security class and she took up the textbook that she'd assigned and said, never mind. Right. It, the world has changed. And she said, if you're reading the newspapers, you know as much as I do. And that was just such a liberating thought that I could develop expertise and to be able to have a conversation with someone as smart as she was uh, just inspired me to never stop learning uh, and to and to just keep knowing and, and finding out things. So that's uh, she's has always been a mentor to me. Awesome. And what is a favorite TV show maybe for you and your family right now? Oh, well, we're, we're struggling because with quarantine, we've sort of run through all of our, <laughs> our shows. And yeah, so same here. <laughs> we're like, what are we going to watch? And we're watching shows that are like, meh, meh. 
patiently waiting for the next season to open on shows that we do like. Um, I got uh, suckered into watching The Crown, which is on Netflix, which is uh, seems like a chick flick, but uh, was very a story very well told. Uh, so I've I've enjoyed that. Um, if I could uh, go back to some classics, you know, I I grew up reading Tolkien. And so I, anytime I'm in a, a pessimistic or bad mood, I just pop in uh, the Lord of the Rings movies uh, by Steve Jackson. And, uh, you know, that that's a perennial favorite. Awesome. And what kind of music do you enjoy listening to to keep you upbeat and motivated? You know, my upbeat music right now is a, a genre called electro swing. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Genre. It's, it's taking uh, 1920s uh, tempos and melodies and putting and combining it with like house electronica, mm. and it it's some very danceable, uh, catchy tunes that uh, when I'm when I need energy, I put on my electro swing channel and and listen to a bunch of uh, dance music basically. Awesome. <laughs> Good to know. I'll need to look that up. Um, okay. Last one. What is your favorite word? Well, I, there's words that I, my kids are happy to tell you. Sometimes my kids uh, make fun of me as 1950s man, because I come up with phrases that are way out of date. Um, but uh, given the conversation we just had, I would say my favorite word right now is nuance it's important to look for the nuance in things that the, the short answers, the easy answers are always wrong. Uh, you look for nuance to, to try to find what the true answer is going to be. Perfect. And I guess it wasn't the last one. Cause I do want to make sure people know <laughs> how to connect with you. Um, is there a favorite platform or method that you'd like people to reach out if they have any questions for you or anything like that? Sure. Well, I'm an old fuddy-duddy professor, so I do most things by email. So I have my email address, which I guess uh, I can give you to put in the show notes. It's just b-d-i-l-l-e at mesacc.edu. Uh, I'm also on Twitter. Uh, I, I'm on Facebook, but I'm I'm a lurker on Facebook. I don't usually post <laughs> content. I just watch other people post. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at d-i-l-l-e-4-b is my Twitter handle. And uh, even there, I'm, I'm usually just uh, liking things. I don't tend to post a whole lot. Part of it is my, my job as a professor. I try to stay reasonably neutral on things. And so I, I tend not to jump into the fray, but that's where you can find me on, on Twitter. Awesome. Good to know. Uh, well, I like to close the show out by beatboxing the guest's name. So I'll uh, go ahead and lay down a quick beatbox with your name in it real quick. <laughs> That's awesome. Brian. That's great. It sounded like you typed Brian Dilly into one of those voice uh, <laughs> synthesizer computers. <laughs> yeah, worked on it. Worked hard on it. I was actually watching a clip today. Just I'm I'm making uh, like a speaker demo reel video right now, uh -huh. and. Uh, I, I have this speaking performance where I explained to the audience, like I was so upset in the beginning of my beatboxing stages when like looping technology came out and like <laughs> these voice effect technologies came out because so many people that weren't beatboxers started sounding and looking like beatboxers. Right. They were cheating. Yeah. So <laughs> I, and you can ask Hadley, by the way, I need to shout out Hadley, uh, I'll add this in the intro and outro too of this podcast, but uh, your nephew Hadley's who hooked this up and everything. And uh, so I appreciate him doing that. Yep, he's um, a good guy. But he, yeah, he can attest. I always tried to sound like the stuff without cheating. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on Upbeat, Brian. I, I appreciate it. Thank you. It was a great conversation. 
So there you have it, my interview with Brian Dilly. We'd love to connect with you. You can find me on my website, parkerkane.co, parkerkane.co, and Brian on Twitter, at D-I-L-L-E-4-B. If you enjoyed this episode or got value from the episode, please share it with a friend and leave an upbeat review. Uh, That's always so much appreciated. You guys are the best. I'll see you next week. This is Upbeat with beatboxer, musician, speaker, and show host, Parker K. Subscribe at parkerk.co.